similar but different And literally, it turns out that uh, he died of an accident, and that's when the world was split. And so naturally, he was aware more where he didn't die. Now, this is reminiscent of an interpretation of quantum mechanics, which is subscribed to by many scientists, that reconciles the results of, of uh, quantum experiments by saying that there are an essentially unlimited number of multiple universes and every possible outcome is represented in its own universe. So anything where more than one thing can happen, it all splits off into one particular universe. Now this is only a possibility, no one's proved it yet, but there are a lot of scientists who describe this theory as an interpretation of quantum mechanics. Now, bringing this back to chronocross, if we look at these two possibilities, live or die in this situation, you're only going to be aware in the universe in which you stay alive. The other universe will essentially cease to exist for you. And let's go on there. Alright. So, now let's look at gameplay as a whole. Um, if you die, you come back. It never stops. There's no game where you buy it from the store, you take it home, you get killed on the first level, and then it's just done. And you can't get your money back, you're just, you're done with that game forever. So... Contra? This is kind of similar. This is similar to that idea. The main character is essentially only aware of the universe in which he lives, so you could kind of view it as, oh, he died that sort of happened, but he's only aware when it doesn't happen. So, this explains some of the, you know, improbable feats of survival when you're playing certain games. Uh, and it expands, interestingly, this fact that your game characters never die into a real-life example of uh, quantum suicide. Now, imagine that you are in a machine or a booth that is hooked up to a pistol, and this pistol has a 50-50 chance of firing when based on game? some kind of radioactive decay. Ah. And if it happens, you die. If it doesn't happen, you don't die. Now, let's say the many-world interpretation of quantum mechanics is true. You'd have a 50-50 chance of getting killed. But, since you would no longer be aware in any world in which you get killed, what you would see is this situation where the pistol clearly has a 50-50 chance of going off, but it never does, and you never die. Represented in this little graphic using Edgar from Final Fantasy VI. He's kind of cut off at the top. Obviously, he's no longer aware. I don't know what happens after he dies, so there are question marks, and you can speculate on that. But uh, So, from his perspective, he's always going to stay alive in that situation. And what this is interesting, this is interesting for one reason, it's that you could essentially test this if you really wanted to. You could go home, buy a certain quantity of radioactive material, you know, and, by radioactive material? Where? I love America. And you could find out if this is indeed true, if the quantum mechanical interpretation is correct. So I would like to expand that a little further and note that essentially this implies that everyone in this room is immortal. Like you will, there's a chance that you'll never die if this is right. Because any situation, be it a bomb going off right here, you fuse could misfire, a dying of old age, of a heart attack, and you could live for a few more seconds if you maybe didn't run as fast on your way to where old people go. 
And uh, so it's entirely possible that you will just never die. I'm completely serious when I say that, that there is a, a serious possibility that you will never die. So I would like to pose a philosophical question that, that is a bit more in terms of the philosophy mm. of mathematics. Let's say that you do this experiment where you hook up a pistol to uh, some sort of decay, and that's to test it. You would be protected from any cause of death if this were to be the case. Um, and you run the experiment like a thousand times and you don't die. So you know that this is the case. You know that there are these many worlds branching off. The people watching the experiment, could you prove it to them? No. no. Okay. Any, any hands who want to explain why? In one scenario, you'd be able to prove it to them. Did I see your hand? Okay. <laughs> you, sir. In one scenario, you'd be able to prove it. Because in that one scenario, you live every single time, but every other scenario that branches off of that, you die at least once. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so they're, they're, I mean, they would have the chance of seeing you die, so that doesn't make sense. Is there anyone who thinks the opposite? Uh, how could you prove it to them, sir? Well, but you do die, in a way. They, their universe continues, yours doesn't. They'll see you die every time. They'll just pretty much think you got lucky. You have no way to prove that you're actually... So you agree that you could not prove it? Yes. Okay, so, but interestingly, you could prove it to yourself. Yes. But no one else but would I do have any reason to believe it. One thing he said is that if there's infinite universes, then there is a universe that you prove it to them. How so? I don't know, but it's a possibility. But <laughs> I agree that there would be a universe where they accept it, but a universe where you could logically uh, prove it to them. Okay, I guess that is a better Is there anyone think that you could prove it to them? You, sir. There would have to be at least one universe where, say, out of a 50 50 chance of dying, you have cheated death 30 times straight in a row. When suddenly it looks like it's a little beyond luck. Okay, that's very true. There's going to be a lot of people who are going to question whether or not it's luck or something different. But let, let, me, let me pose this question to you another way of looking at it. Let's say that that interpretation was not true. Versus if it is true, the people, if you read the experiment, say, a thousand times, you have something like a one in a billion chance of seeing you die. If it's not true, they would still have the same probability of seeing you die from their perspective. So how could you reconcile those two things in a way such that you could prove it to them? In another universe, there has to be a way to travel between different universes. Do you think it only if it's actually possible in some way? Good point. I think you have to be I was about to pose a question. Like, if there was perhaps some way, uh, or if, if we could go under the assumption that yeah, each, each uh, a parallel universe has no means of acknowledging the existence or being able to travel between them, if there is, then you feel the possibility of being able to prove them. Like, perhaps in one universe, you, you run the experiment, you die, and then all of a sudden, Wormholes and stuff, and you come over from another universe and say, hey, it's what I'm alive. Well, if wormholes are possible, that's, that would indeed be possible. It, all right, I have another question to pose on this. So, obviously, most people here probably don't want to die. I mean, maybe a few, whatever, I don't know. But uh, can anyone tell me why quantum immortality, as it's called, might be a bad thing? You, sir. All right, so. Say you do the experiment. Gun goes off. You manage to survive, but you are paralyzed for the rest of your life, eternally stuck, unable to speak, feel, move, but still aware. 
excellent, exactly the answer that I was looking for. There, if this is the case, and sadly it may be, in any situation where you're horribly maimed, there are probably a good, a good number of outcomes where you don't die, but you're brought to the brink of death and your life becomes very unpleasant, as opposed to just getting off scot-free. Uh, so, moving out of it to the topics of uh, ontology and epistemology, um, has anyone here played Star Ocean 3? Really? Wow. I thought that was a popular game. Okay, well, uh, let's allow me to summarize the, the plot for you. Um, the main characters, in, in a big plot twist, and that's the third Star Ocean game, as you can tell from the title, uh, find out that their entire universe uh, is, is basically an MMORPG. They're all programs being run in a simulated Wait. reality, being played and from some other universe. And it's a big plot twist because it turns out the whole series took place in an MMORPG. And uh, this brings to mind some interesting questions. This is a popular concept in many films and games. I mean, I'm sure it'll be seen in Matrix, and there are lots of other games that have this sort of concept. It, it's even briefly explored in uh, Metal Gear Solid 2 when Snake is telling Raiden that whatever you see is only as real as your mind tells you it is. It was also a well-known concept discussed by uh, Descartes, or, or Descartes, if you just read his name, um, about an evil demon that could be presenting reality as an illusion. You really have no way of knowing that. Now, this poses uh, an interesting question. And I should scroll this slide. This is the simulation argument, and this has been put forward by a number of philosophers, and a lot of people have different takes on it, because it, it goes kind of in the, into the question of uh, ontology. So one well-known argument is put forward, and it's that one of these three assertions must be true. That either civilizations always die out before reaching a level of technology that allows for the creation of a simulated reality, or, due to strong ethical or cultural prohibitions, absolutely no one in, in civilizations that are capable will run these simulated realities. Or three, we are almost certainly living in a simulated reality right now. So, actually I should probably keep that slide up so you can look at that. So, this has been an argument that, that has been put forward that one of these three things must be true. Does anyone have any opinions on if this is a valid, valid argument? You, sir. I'll look around for these three options. Like, why should there be a fourth option that this kind of technology and simulations exist, but we're not part of simulation? Essentially, the idea is, and this is where it gets into ontology, that if there are any number of possible simulations being run, and obviously these simulations can run simulations themselves, so if people are being simulated, chances are they're also running simulations, and so on and so on the odds of us being on the top-level simulation would be very low. Hence the almost certainly, but not definitely. Anyone else have any objections or agreements to this argument? Well, you said uh, pretty much the beginning of time, a lot of cultures have thought that we are just forms of God. Probably that simulated reality is actually not such a new concept. So who thinks we are living in a simulated reality? Who actually thinks that? Anyone? So like we've got like two people. So those who don't think that, which premise do you think is flawed? How so? Because there's been many civilizations that have rise and fell. Some mm -hmm. of them with less technology. It's true. Some of them had technology we don't have, 
But yet again, a lot of their technology, if it what they did have, would not be like as it's like advanced to like like for example, you can't take like these like a uh, computer from like now and go back to ancient Egypt and they go, hey, we know that. Okay, it's an interesting thing. Well, one thing uh, to consider along with that would be that uh, essentially this would mean all civilizations in other galaxies, in just anywhere ever, if they could run simulations, then the first one would hold true because there would be simulations running some. So you think that, that all civilizations just tend to destroy them? Not just any of them. I just don't think on Earth. <laughs> but it wouldn't have to be on Earth. It, it, oh, I mean, okay. Earth would be part of okay. the simulation. Now you say it like that. Oh, okay. So, uh, you, sir. Well, if it is true that we would be living in a simulated reality, or any of the truths that were true at one point, um, what would actually be the true reality? Nothing would be real. We would have no consequences for our actions. Nothing we would do would be Well, if, 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 if I could prove to you that you were computer program, a sentient computer program, would you be okay with it if I killed you? But I'm just saying, if I could, would you be okay with it if I killed you? No, if you're a sentient computer program. If there's parameters for our simulation where there are consequences for those actions in our simulation, yeah, we can still be in a simulation that has consequences. So I have a question though. What exactly does simulation mean? What defines simulation? In a way, we're seeing things. Our brain is this thing telling us to do stuff. We are in free control by ourselves. Oh, a simulation. The simulation is not necessarily incompatible with free will. In fact. My personal view is even if we are living in a simulation, it doesn't make any difference to me because it's obviously not malfunctioning, so it's probably not that different from whatever the not higher level universe, universe is. What's that? What? Okay. <laughs> um, actually, we're kind of getting, uh, well, you, you and them are yet to move on. Um, well, just the language of those three assertions use some sort of flawed, so all three some flawed because reality to everyone is different because that's an abstract term. So everyone is living in everybody else's living reality, based on differing perspectives. So you think it, it's more of an issue of how the mind interprets reality is so different for everyone? Yeah, that okay. you can't define reality. Okay. All right. And, well, I'm going to move on because the next section actually gets into some of the things we were thinking we were talking about. It's the philosophy of mind and physicalism. So in the Mega Man series, uh, specifically the, the X0 and ZX series, uh, sentient machines are invented, and they struggle for and gain rights and recognition as persons. And later, uh, sentient computer programs are invented that exist only as code. And they're sentient, but other robots have mixed views on how these new beings should be treated, since they don't have a physical body. Now these are questions of physical Physicalism holds that there are no things other than phys physical things. So you have no soul, there's no life for... Uh, essentially, you are just a combination of atoms and electrical impulses and so on. There's nothing... I don't want to use the term magical, because it sounds like it's parading someone's beliefs, but there is nothing beyond those physical components. And another implication of that would be that two identical people are essentially exactly the same. So, here's something. I, I would like to ask, uh, are there people here who believe in physicalism, who 
don't believe that there's a soul or anything beyond Okay, so we have a few. So uh, I would like to pose a question to you or anyone else who has their hand up. If someone created an exact copy of you, down every single atom was exactly the same, would they essentially be you? Yes. Okay, so if if I, and I'm sorry to keep using murder in these things, I'm not a murderous person, but if I had the ability to create an exact copy of you over there that would appear, and the instant that it appeared, I were to shoot you, and you would fall, be okay with you? I can't tell, because they're tired. I, I've been thinking about this for a while as well. Um, I have no idea what makes somebody see from one perspective, and only one perspective. So if a copy of me were to appear next to me, I would not, we would not be able to share consciousness. Consciousness. So we would be two separate identities. Because we are two separate spaces. I started with neuroscience, and I know that the minute he would appear, he would be getting new memories, one from his viewpoint, one from his. Memories are connected via neurons, meaning there would be difference in Oh, I, I no agree that one. it would be different after, but let's say I could rig up a machine that would kill him the instant that the other clone were created somehow. You're talking about a teleporter that breaks down your molecules and rebuilds In fact, I'm going to expand that a bit. That what you're saying, if you've ever heard of the transporter in Star Trek, it essentially disassembles you and reassembles the molecules, different molecules, but in a different area. Is there anyone here who would be okay with transporting in that fashion? No. Yep. Okay, and of, of those people, what would be the difference between doing that and if I did what I described? Create an exact copy of you and then instantly kill the first copy. The first one would still have a body that's right in there. And is that a problem for some reason? Would you not use a transporter if for some reason it left the lifeless body behind on the other end? It's not the exact same matter. The transporter is not, that's correct. It, it's assembled exactly the same way, but it's not the same atoms or anything like that. So, I'm afraid I can't see what the difference is between the two situations. Good point. Um, and, alright, I will get uh, someone who hasn't spoken yet. Uh, you with the hat, sir. Uh, wouldn't it be an argument of nurture versus nature that because he was brought up this way, not just assembled, that defines personality? If somebody were brought up differently, even if they were initially similar, then yes, certainly they would be a different person, even from a physicalist or non-physicalist perspective. But, um, okay, I will call on one more person. Uh, did you have your hand up? Yeah. Oh, I was going to ask a question. Couldn't we just use the memory and consciousness and perception be a direct proof of the non-existence of the soul? The proof of the existence of a soul or something like that would be a contrary truth, but I don't see how memory is going to do that way. I was saying if you can perceive something that's not concrete and in front of you, wouldn't that just prove physicalism? Uh, yes, but well, what can you perceive that's not in front of you? I mean, well, thought, thought, if you were telepathic, that may or may not just prove physicalism, actually. If, if, if it turned out that people were radiating certain waves from, the, from their brains and you could absorb that, that would be consistent with physicalism. If it turned out that your souls were connected or something, then it wouldn't be. Um, unfortunately, I am running low on time, so I have to... Andrew, can I derail you? Yes, certainly. I told you I would derail you. Buddhism holds that um, everyone is the concept of no self. You don't exist. You exist only as a result of the world around you 
and your experiences, but you yourself don't exist. How would that tie into physicalism? Interesting. But so, in what sense do you not exist if you do exist in relation to the events around you? That's the question. You don't exist. You are the product of your experiences and other people's perceptions of you, but you yourself do not exist. There's no you're, you're, an, you're an echo of everything else. Is it, so yeah. there's no physical representation of all you these sense that everyone else gets. You don't have a body. But don't it's how other like people Nirvana and things such as that? Yes, but that's realizing you don't exist. Oh, so it's not an actual... No, yeah. it's not like heaven. Oh, okay. That works then. That does sound to me. And unfortunately, I have to move on. Already for No, no, feel free to. <laughs> feel free to chime in. Um, okay, moving forward. Uh, now I'm going to talk about logic and metaphysics. So uh, in Chrono Trader, uh, characters travel back and forth <coughs> through time to right wrongs and defeat their enemies. And the treatment of time travel is kind of unusual. Uh, not only does it ignore paradoxes, but if they wait 10 minutes in one era and then travel to another, 10 minutes have also passed there for some reason. It's also kind of choosy on causality. Like one character disappears when her ancestor is killed, but the main villain being defeated doesn't seem to cause the obvious paradox of why are they traveling back in time in the first place if what they did is no longer there. Now, of course, the most well-known example of time travel being a logical contradiction is the grandfather paradox. That is where you go back in time and kill your grandfather, and so you couldn't have been born. Uh, there's also the Hitler paradox that you go back in time and kill Hitler, for what reason you have to go back in time in the first place. Now, most people don't realize that pretty much any time travel leads to a paradox, not just something where you do something that clearly violates causality which I've attempted to illustrate here. The causal problem with this is that you are in timeline A, which turns into timeline B. You travel back to timeline A, but your presence there, which must alter it in some way, turns it into A prime, which now turns into timeline B prime. And since it is the event in A that led to B where you traveled back in time, but it is now B prime, that creates a paradox, even if you just take the time machine back, step outside for a moment, and then step back in. So I would like to say, does this make time travel impossible? Or is there some way that Not it could be possible? You, sir. Uh, the uh, author who wrote um, Fight Club also did a book called Rant, where he brings up an interesting other perspective on the grandfather paradox. Um, he had claimed that going back and, and killing one of your ancestors is not, in fact, unburth you, but just unhinges you from causality. It removes your ca what, uh, the uh, cause of your effect, I suppose, so that you just uh, essentially stop passing time altogether. So you're so essentially immortal. So you would, I would, would your grandfather die? Yes, you would kill your grandfather. So you were technically never born, but you wouldn't be, you would, you would not have never existed. You, in fact, just are removed from the entire equation. You don't create another universe. You just no longer um, have any causes or effects. You're, you're removed from the timeline, so but still exist as part of it. Exist. Physically, it's a pure physical. But how, how, isn't even standing on the ground causing something? I mean, would you fall through the earth? I don't know. So he wasn't quite clear on that. It's just another <laughs> interesting take. Okay, uh, you have. Um, so something I... I um, said, are you like a girl? I mean, <laughs> it's okay if you are, but... 
I said you, ma'am. Hi, I'm uh, right behind you in this red line. So ah, <laughs> oh, it's okay. <laughs> Hi. Um, so there's a couple of uh, interesting uh, solutions to this kind of problem, but I think the one most commonly used would be to fall back again on the many little theory of uh, causality. Where, of course, by traveling back in time and contacting the past in any way would completely alter it. It's no longer viable when it comes from the timeline. Unless, of course, it's already happened. Okay, that, that's an interesting take on it. And let me ask you this follow-up question. Mm -hmm. and, and that that is a very interesting take, uh, that anything will just split off if there's a paradox. Would, would that not imply that we could never see any time travel before the first time machine is invented? Like, say if it's invented in 2020, we would never see any time travelers before that? That would be the implication, yeah. Okay, all right. That, that's what I was thinking. And, all right, okay. Well, I... Um, time machines, what if you just can't go back to the future, only to the past? You, like, you kill your grandpa, but you're stuck there. You exist there, but not in the future, because you're now in the past and you can't go back to the future. So what would happen to the old universe? The one that... The one that... The old universe would stop existing, but the one you created would continue existing. Okay, alright. And so in that case, causality would just not apply to you going back in time. Like, it wouldn't matter that you killed your grandfather or something like that. Yeah, you're just there. You kind of appear. You have no origin. Okay. And, uh, you, Miss Um, I was just going to address the whole traveling in the past or traveling in the future. Mm -hmm. um, you actually could essentially theoretically travel in the future if you say, well, NASA and, you know, Stephen Hawking presented this theoretical thing where if you actually well, objects that have great mass actually kind of bends around them and slows down. So if you have a great gravitational field, like say if you could, like add, yeah, like a black hole, supermassive black mm -hmm. hole, if you could figure out the mass, um, figure out a trajectory to actually revolve around a black hole, it would bend time and say it would cut it down by like half depending on the mass of the object. Mm -hmm. um, you could travel into the future if you just say you revolve around it for five years, travel back to the Earth. In the future. Oh, in fact, if you just accelerate and then go really, really fast, you can travel into the future uh, due to special relativity. Um, in fact, we're all traveling around in the future uh, uh, slightly, slightly slower than the people out there because they're moving relative to us, but uh, it's pretty much about the same. Okay, one more and then we have to move on. Um, you, sir, that. Uh, I just wanted to say they actually really like proof that was true. They took an atomic clock, put it on 747. That's the one in Colorado. Went around the world a couple times, and the one on the plane actually yeah. changed. This, this test proved both special and general relativity. And uh, I think it was an inter interesting that they were able to program clocks to be so accurate. And in fact, it has since been further validated because GPS units need to take relativistic effects into account. Oh, thank you. And now. Perhaps because I got off to a slightly late start, we are going to skip the next section on the divine command theory. But if I hope this panel again, we'll do it. And now we're going to talk about ethics. Deontology versus consequentialism. Uh, the two major thoughts uh, on, on ethics, on what you should be doing, essentially, which, which is ethics, um, are deontology, which is rule-based. It judges by intent and adherence to maxims, to moral codes. And then there is also consequentialism, which is essentially that the end result of an action can be used to judge 
the action itself. It's only the consequences that matter. Uh, the most popular form of consequentialism is utilitarianism, which I'm sure many of you have heard of, which is maximizing utility. Essentially, you want to do what brings the most happiness or good to the greatest number of people or causes the least amount of pain or displeasure to the greatest number of people. Now, Final Fantasy Tactics has two opposing main characters that choose each of these paths in an effort to accomplish the same goal. Uh, the main character is Ramza and his best friend is Selena. And they both want to desire to eliminate the nobility's long-standing exploitation of the peasantry in bloody power struggles. Uh, Ramza holds true to his ethical code, refusing to sacrifice innocence or deceive people for the sake of expediency. Delita, on the other hand, forms alliances with both sides of the struggle, aggravates the war until they have weakened each other, and assassinates their leader. He uses those around him, even the princess that he marries, for political power. Uh, these characters essentially correspond to deontology and consequentialism. Now, another case uh, from another game, uh, a literal case actually, is uh, in the final case of the second Ace Attorney game, uh, Phoenix Wright, the main character, is, is forced to defend a guilty person lest his friend be killed. And he's eventually put into a situation where he has to implicate someone who is not involved, possibly sending her to jail for life or being executed, or his friend will be murdered by an assassin who has kidnapped her. And ignoring any sort of easy solution, like telling the judge about it when no one's looking, uh, this is essentially <laughs> the classic trolley problem in philosophy. A trolley is out of control and it's barreling toward two people who are on the tracks. They're perfectly justified in being there because, you know, the trolley's out of control, signals aren't working. And you're near a switch and you can switch it. <laughs> and then the trolley will go down a different track if you press this switch. But it will hit one person on the other track. So to ask you a question, if you were in that situation, would you hit the switch? Any, any hands? You, ma'am. Why, why would you hit the switch? Okay, okay. Anyone else? In my case, I would try to damage it so that uh, that the trolley uh, would try to crash. Like, like uh, that would result in two people being killed. This is an unstoppable trolley. No, no. I mean, like, uh, try to make it so that, like, uh, like make it so that. Uh, it doesn't go either way, but they just go like it has to come to like a dead bob and it would be like uh, Impossible. They both get killed. This is an ideal trolley. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Two people are going to get hit or you hit the switch and they'll And then one, one person gets hit. Why can't you just push the other person next to you out of the way? You're not near the switch. You're just near the switch. Oh. There's nothing you can do besides the two options I presented. So what, what just should you do? Hit the switch or not? Yeah. Uh, is there anyone who would not hit the switch? You. Uh, I would not hit the switch because then I wouldn't be responsible for either one dying. Okay, okay. Uh, just a quick survey. Who here would hit the switch? Okay, who here would not hit the switch? Does it not depend on the people who are... If it's They're all the same. Don't okay. worry. Okay. I would not make this problem that easy. Okay, it looks like it's substantially <laughs> about the people who would hit the to those of you who would hit the switch, let's say that instead you're standing next to a fat man who's so fat that he can stop the truck. <laughs> <laughs> and barely for two people, 
Would you push the fat man in front of the truck? I mean, is there anyone here who would hit the switch but wouldn't push the fat man? Question. What? How would you push him? <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Is there anyone here who would have to
You, sir, why would you do that? Then, then why wouldn't you hit the switch? Why wouldn't I hit the switch? Yes. Because it's my fool. Why do you hate the people on the tracks more than the people on the... Uh, okay, uh, you, ma'am. Uh, I think it's because since you're already on the plane, you're already involved and you're already factored in. Just sitting by the switch, you're not involved in it yet. Excellent, excellent. So by, by taking the risk to fly, you're kind of including yourself in that situation because that's almost something that could happen. Okay, okay, I see exactly what you're saying there. Um, and, uh, okay, I will go with you again. There's also the issue of consequences. In our society, we tend to see anyone involved as possibly at fault. And when you're talking about death, rationality doesn't always have to into it. When you're not involved in something, as it's a train, as she said, when you don't touch the incident, then you are frequently seen as not involved or not, not to blame. When you're in the plane, it is unavoidable that you are already involved. Okay. Your death is already happening. Let me, let me pose one other question to you. Let's say that you were drugged against your knowledge and put on this plane. So you, it was not at all your fault that you were there, and uh, you're there when it's going down, and for some reason the pilot's negligent and in the bathroom or something. Would you redirect it then, or would you let it hit the more populated area? Yes, because despite that I did not choose to for the situation, I'm already involved, just the same. In what sense are you not involved because you just happened to be by the switch, even though you had no foreknowledge of the situation? Mm -hmm. So, well, once again, it's yeah, to do with consequences. It was. So then you can hit the switch yeah. referring to consequences, right? That's fine. Maybe. Well, I, I feel like you're going to be in such black and white scenarios. No, the point is, it when you're looking at, at being blamed for the deaths of people, consequences start to break down. If I'm going to die, I don't care who blames who for what. If I'm going to live through it, I care who blames who for what. So it's kind of an issue of personal utility. Well, pretty much. That's not perfect, that's what we're looking at. I'm not saying I have found that. That's not what we're looking at. And also depends on the amount of people, kind of like how we go to war to save people, but we're also killing people in the process. With this, if you're killing one person, it's not as much of a big deal as if you're killing ten because it's a larger amount, it's in the amount of killing. Like I don't see why the morality of how you make the choice would change based on one person or ten. Is there a situation, I mean, assuming that the alternative, assuming that the numbers stay the same, like it's killing 10 versus killing 20 and killing 1 versus killing 2. I don't see how that would change the morality of it. It's more along the lines of... Well, we have to move on anyway. Okay. So. okay, now we are finally going to talk about applied ethics. If this thing did so. Okay, applied ethics is essentially the application of philosophy of philosophical maxims to actual situations. So we're going to deal with that. Uh, it's obviously going to apply to a video game, but essentially something that will carry over to real life. 
So Final Fantasy VII presents an interesting case. Uh, Sephiroth, the main antagonist, was experimented on and genetically manipulated by his mother, Lucretia Crescent, while he was still in the womb. Other characters, such as Vincent Valentine, uh, they object to this. And this presents an interesting ethical dilemma outside of the question of abortion itself. And I'm assuming this is an anime convention, most people here are okay with abortion, I, I respect your views if you're not. But, um, so for those of you who are okay with, uh, that is to say, I respect both sides of that. Um, so for those of you who are fine with abortion, so taking that out of the equation, um, is it ethical to affect an unborn child that you are going to have? Like, let's say that you say, okay, it is my body. Can I inject this kid with acid even though I know he'll be born horribly formed? <coughs> is that okay? Any hand? Nope. No. Well, your question yes, wasn't... Uh, uh, yes, the answer, I put no because the, the child has no choice. You're affecting its entire life by your choices when the child is helpless. Okay, so why is abortion okay, though? I mean, is it because it's your body? Because that would logically also apply to the situation. Well, it's a couple of situations. There's always the question of when consciousness develops, which is, at this point, we're unable to tell. There's also the point of, will the child have a more horrible life alive with you than it would uh, never being born? We'd never be able to experience all that horror or even know that it would have the choice. So you would say that it would be oh, oh, it would not be okay to do that because it would it would uh, minimize utility. Yes, you're gonna the child is going to live. Okay. Then yes, it's not right. Okay, but why can people abort things in the first place? Like let's say that you found out that fetuses were conscious. I don't know an answer to that. Okay, all right, fair enough. Um, uh, you sir. Well, I I'm kind of look about the whole. But you said uh, what happens when the if you find out that the fetus is conscious? No, no, I wouldn't wait for it. But uh, if, if there is a consciousness there, then absolutely not. If there is no consciousness, then it's right now just solid. So then it's okay to do that horrible acid scarring, even though the kid will be born all messed up. If the child is. Um, no, I was talking a more about the uh, abortion aspect of it. But uh, if a child is going to be born, and you're going to go ahead and screw it up, then absolutely not. If the child has to die because it's going to be aborted anyway, then why not? Okay, all right. So, it, so, so you, sir. I just wanted to point out that the reason abortions usually take place is because the parents in some situation in which they don't feel safe. Things like they can raise a child in loving atmosphere, like a along those lines. Um, this has to do with the happiness of the child when they grow up. If they grow up without like loving environment, then it feels like their life would be more miserable than um, they would be. Um, they, it'd be better in that case though not to have been alive in the first place. The scarring was an example of this. They're alive but they'll put the life of miserable so they would be in fact better for them not to have lived in the first place. Okay, so it's an issue of utilitarian perspective, but let, let me pose this follow-up question to you. Let's say there's an ideal situation where you can read people's minds or something like that, and you have perfect information. If some people come, come in and they say, oh yeah, we've we got plenty of money, uh, we want kids eventually, uh, we're going to start trying to have a kid really soon, but we